This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. If you're enjoying this podcast in Manawatu, you could make your very own, just like this one. NPR exists to help people like you tell your story or share your passion on air and online. Check out npr.nz for more information. Hi, I'm Greg Watson and welcome to this week's show of Property Matters where we talk all things property and in this week's show talking about some local news about a revitalisation of the square in Palmerston North. We're looking at things around the country to do with townhouse developers who are offering to pay people's mortgages, a city council where developers must plant trees if they're doing developments, and the Auckland homeowner who almost hit an unexploded bomb while digging in their backyard. We're going to talk a little bit about these cashback deals that banks are giving and and the ins and outs of those. And then as we go on, we'll have a look a little bit at the rental market, what's acceptable, what's not, and what's going to happen with holiday homes now that their borders are open. And finally, if we have time, which I certainly hope we do, another incredible property, this one on the Yorkshire Dales, that you might want to purchase for $571,000. But we'll come back to that one. It's worth waiting for. So first of all in the news, it's been uh, around the place in the last couple of weeks. Palmerston. Council candidates want a CBD that is well and truly pumping. The Palmer's North business community came out to hear the candidates' suggestions to get the CBD back on its feet after the pandemic decimated foot traffic. So the 26 candidates sat on the stage of the Globe Theatre on Tuesday night putting up their proposals for how to once again make Palmer's North City Centre an inviting place to spend time. Green Party candidates Katie Zabellin and Brent Barrett emphasise the importance of having people choose to live in the CBD. We need a city centre that's well and truly pumping, Barrett said. We need good events that are well communicated, well lined up, and ultimately we need to see the residential population of our CBD go from 400 to 4,000. The article says that the city centre has been through the ringer since the pandemic hit in March 2020, with businesses closing in Timurayo Hine, that's the square, becoming notably less safe. And while these problems were shared with cities big and small in New Zealand, it was nevertheless a concern for the candidates. So Vaughan Dennison spoke about how we don't have lakes or vineyards to bring people into the city, which is why events and retail are so important for us. Parking was one area that candidates believed should bring customers back. Multiple candidates said the first hour should be free. Uh, Many of the women on stage recounted the stress of rushing around the CBD with children to avoid a ticket, while others pointed to the excess of the plaza with its first free hour parking. There's a number of uh, discussions here. I'll just read through here for a moment. We need to get the government back on getting overseas workers and easing immigration, uh, Lou Finlay was saying. We have people in the country and overseas begging, begging to get into New Zealand, but we keep putting obstacles in front of them. Other candidates, such as Rachel Bowen, spoke more broadly about the city's poor reputation, a long-standing issue for the region that the council had been desperately trying to reserve. A reverse, I should say. We need to continue telling our story to attract new residents, she says. We need to get the message out that Palmer's North isn't boring and it's a really a fun and vibrant place to build a life, which is uh, what we, we know in secret, 
but uh, they're wanting to let people out there know as well. Former National Party general election candidate William Wood said the city was best placed to focus on bringing back young people who had left for major cities at home and abroad. He says, we do struggle to retain young people because it's only natural they'd want to go somewhere bigger like Wellington, Auckland or overseas and have that adventure. What we can do is make Palmerston North a place people want to come back to and settle down, raise a family and put roots down. And we can do that through rezoning land out to Longburn for housing and building employment opportunities. So that's just a little bit about there and some of those viewpoints from uh, the candidates. I received my election uh, paper this morning and, um, and placed my vote. So you probably should see yours around the place too, depending on what date you're listening to this broadcast. Now the overhead power lines still hanging in Palmer's North's Main Street, these are between Princess Street to Keith Street, uh, were intended to start being removed this month, but there have been delays in completing the final stages of the $24.7 million project to improve the city's power supply. You may recall around six years ago there was a series of, cent- cent- uh, series of central city power outages sparked by the need for upgrades. The overhead power line was put up in September of 2016 to temporarily secure the electricity supply uh, following the failure of one of the three underground cables. It's due to come down this September, but it's now expected to stay up till November. So it's rather trivial there, not exactly housing uh, related, but uh, just a bit of an update there for you. Now the land on the corner or the Huia Street Reserve, this is the, the law change has paved the way for council to sell the Huia Street Reserve. Now, this is the former Palmerston North Bowling Club land in, in Fitzherbert Ave, uh, and the decision on what it's used for now lies finally with the City Council. After what Act List MP Simon Court described as an awful palaver, the Palmerston North Reserve's Empowering Amendment Bill has passed its third reading in Parliament. It amends legislation that protected the publicly owned reserve land from sale. City MP Tangi Utakiri, who shepherded the law change through the process, said it gave the council the opportunity to make democratic local decisions about the use of the ownership of the Huia Street Reserve. So it opened the door for choices to sell the land on the corner of Park Road and Fitzherbert Ave, and possibly advance the council's preferred option, which was to build homes or have a developer or partner build homes to help relieve the city's housing shortage, which would be a great idea. So the land has actually sat vacant now for 15 years. So some of us who are a little older in the tooth, uh, I can't believe it's actually been that long. So the council chief planning officer, David Murphy, said it was good to have the law change that would enable partial sale or development of the land. And so they're still deciding what to do with it, but at least now they can decide. Speaking of developers and townhouses, this news from Christchurch, and this article was in stuff, it says townhouse developer to pay mortgages for a year for new buyers as the market calls. So move to Christchurch and we'll pay your mortgage for a year. That's the promise of housing development company Brooksfield to anyone who shifts to the city to buy one of its townhouses by the end of October. The only condition is that the mortgage must be for a 30-year term at the current average bank interest rate. Against the background of a cooling housing market, the company launched its offer with a social media campaign recently. Brookfield's director, Vinnie Holloway, said he came up with the idea while visiting Auckland. I was looking at houses thinking, do people know how nice and cheap and the houses are in Christchurch? Why are people living here? A lot of people are already thinking about moving to Christchurch. It is a lot cheaper and it's got top job opportunities and a very nice lifestyle. 
He said the deal isn't just for buyers from around the country and overseas. Anyone outside the Christchurch city boundary qualifies, even if you're coming from Rolleston. We need more people living in the city. So here's, here's the thing. Christchurch's medium home sale price in last month was $656,000, according to the Real Estate Institute. And that compares with $1.15 million in Auckland City and 860000 in Wellington. So Holloway said the slowing real estate market had almost halved their sales since the peak of last year. A year ago, they were selling about 40 homes a month. He says we could have almost sold double that if we'd had to stop. They were just flying off the shelf. Now they are selling between 20 and 25 homes a month, he said, and we're having to work for those. So the company sells its homes off the plan and does not have finished homes ready to sell. Holloway expected with the prices for their townhouses ranging from 580 to 780, the mortgage off would cost them between 20 and 25,000 for the year for each home. So that's interesting to see uh, people thinking outside the box uh, during these times. Also in the uh, press, the Christchurch press, uh, the, the, the council wants to charge developers who fail to retain or plant enough trees. And this is an interesting approach that could be, of course, adopted elsewhere if it was considered to be a reasonable thing to do by councils. So Christchurch developers could soon be charged tens of thousands of dollars if their new properties fail to reach a leafy threshold. So in an effort to protect Christchurch's trees from intensified housing, the City Council on Thursday, uh, recent, oh, that's, uh, the, where are we today? Thursday the 15th of September, decided to oh, – I've lost my notes here. Hold on a minute. Won't be a moment. Technical issues. And here it is. On Thursday, decided to start a process to introduce new tree protections in the district plan. It wants to bring in charges for companies behind new residential sites if their developments have less than 20% tree canopy cover. Developers could retain or plant trees to reach 20%, but if the threshold is not met, they'll have to pay up. And in some cases, this could be between thirty dollars and $60,000, depending on the size of the property. The council would then use that money to plant trees on publicly owned land around the city. Interesting. So protection for trees was to be included as part of the council's response to the government's housing intensification policy. But recently the uh, Christchurch City Council defied the government directive to toughen its density rules and in doing so any additional tree protections the council hoped to achieve through the policy were lost. So that's where, in a surprise move, Christchurch Mayor Leanne Dalziel introduced the new set of recommendations around tree protections uh, recently. So they're wanting to make sure that uh, they're keeping things as green as possible. Just another news. This is quite interesting, an article. um, I'm recording this during Māori Language Week. And uh, just to remind you uh, that of that... uh, Whangarei real estate agent has listed a property in Te Reo Māori. So a Whangarei Heads house has been put on the market with an online listing in Te Reo Māori and it could be a first for the real estate industry, the agent says. So this is by Ray White, Whangarei agent Daniel Foote and he wanted to acknowledge and support uh, Te Wiki o Te Reo Māori. So the property uh, is there online. I'll see if it mentions the address. It doesn't actually, but I'm sure you could look up the agent and find your way to their agent, Daniel Foote, from Ray White. Now, talking about finding things, an Auckland homeowner nearly hit an unexploded bomb while digging in the garden. This is something you might generally hear in an article from Europe uh, rather than something you might expect in this part of the world. 
So residents of Pukanui Road, Epson, were evacuated recently from their homes as Defence Force Explosive Ordnance Disposal Team was sent in to detonate a live mortar shell. They returned to the site on Friday morning and said at about 11.30am the bomb had now been safely disposed of. One of the residents of the house said they'd been gardening when they came across the explosive. My husband was gardening and dug it up in our garden, she said. Thankfully, he realised what it was pretty quickly. So in a statement prior to the detonation, a Defence Force spokesperson warned the explosions carried out as part of the controlled demolition could get loud, not surprising, and police said the public would notice a police presence in the area. So just wondering where it says anywhere in this article where it actually came from, but uh, it doesn't say that in this article. Uh, it was dug up in Epsom. Why there's an unexploded water shell there, I don't know. Maybe you have some suggestions, <laughs> but certainly I'm not too sure. Moving on now to a recent court case. This is about leaky buildings. Uh, it's been a problem in this country for some time. James Hardy was awarded $2.1 million in costs after winning a leaky building case. So the nightmare of leaky, rotting houses first emerged in the 1990s and it cost homeowners billions of dollars. Building products manufacturer James Hardy has just been awarded costs after successfully defending itself in a leaky building case at the High Court in Wellington. A group of 153 owners of leaky properties failed to prove their claim that James Hardy's Hardy-Tex fibre cement cladding boards were the cause of leaks and rot in their homes. In August 2021, the High Court in Wellington ruled that bad building was a cause of leaks after a case involving months of hearing 67 witnesses and more than 10,000 pages of written expert evidence. James Hardy had claimed costs of 2.3 and it also claimed 4.7 million in other expenses, which included bringing in an overseas expert witness who had a charge-out rate of about $900 an hour. Like the litigation, the claims costs are huge, the High Court Justice Simon France said in a statement on August 16. So the claims relating to trial days for two expert writ- Witnesses were reduced, but overall those costs were pretty huge. The plaintiffs had challenged James Hardy's costs claim on a number of issues, including whether some large claims related to key witnesses were reasonable. So it just goes on uh, from that. The case itself, it must be incredibly hard to prove uh, these sorts of things, Um, and that's the the, the tricky part. So uh, they have been awarded those costs. Now we talked uh, in the introduction about a cashback war. So Kiwi Bank reignites a mortgage cashback war but excludes low deposit home buyers. So Kiwi Bank is back in the market offering a 1% cash contribution of up to $10,000 to borrowers taking out home loans of more than $300,000. The bank says the offer is to mark spring when more properties come onto the market and there's a sunnier outlook for people looking to buy. The offer is similar to what is offered by BNZ although that bank's cash bank Bank is only available to those who borrow four hundred thousand or more, and the payment is capped at twenty thousand dollars. Mortgage advisors say the cash contributions are a bid bid to win market share rather than being related to the costs people face when buying a new home. So, what? Are, why are they really doing it? Well, they're doing it now at the one percent level because they're hungry for business, says mortgage advisor Campbell Hasty. Falling house prices and Rising interest rates have seen a sharp decline in people wanting home loans. Home loan applications were down 25% in July compared to the same month last year. 
So it's about getting new business in the door and a better way to do it, uh, sorry, and what better way to do it than a big, fat, juicy incentive, Hasty says. Once buyer incentives were linked to buyer costs, such as banks agreeing to pay borrowers legal fees, but fierce competition has seen the amount offered decouple from the costs and becoming a percentage, and it's got bigger. The cashback used to be offered around the 0.5% to 0.7% range. So who doesn't qualify? People with deposits of less than 20% aren't being offered cashbacks by Kiwi Bank and BNZ. He says that's because a limited amount of money banks have to lend to low deposit borrowers is reserved for their own customers. So there we go. Now are these strings attached? The cashback offers are for borrowers who do the majority of their banking at the bank who's paying them. At Kiwi Bank, for example, a borrower must have their salary paid into a Kiwi Bank account, and if that changes, the bank warns. If your banking relationship changes significantly, for example, if you have if you stop your income direct credited into a Kiwi Bank account or refinance lending to another lender after the cash contribution has been paid to you, we may require you to repay some or all of the cash contribution. If it happens in the first year, Kiwi Bank will demand repayment of 100%, on the second, 75, third, 50, and so on. Slight change of tack now, and this article with the changing market around renting properties. So homeowners set to pocket $1,500 a night as rental demand soars. So homeowners could pocket up to $1,500 a night by renting out their homes this summer, with holiday rentals being in hot demand as international tourists return to our country. The arrival of international visitors will see the cost of renting a holiday home reach record levels, according to new data from Batchcare, New Zealand's largest holiday home management firm. An influx of international tourists, com- coupled with a strong demand for domestic holidaymakers and a shortage of rental accommodation, are behind a 25% increase in pricing over the peak period, said Nick Pierce. Batch Care Head of Revenue. Pierce said holiday homeowners in some regions will be able to earn up to $1,500 per night during peak season by renting out their property. He said a property that would normally rent for $1,000 a night during the peak is now at $1,250. Now, is anyone else reading this thinking that's a heck of a lot of money? We are probably talking the upper end ones in particular locations. And demand is forecast, in fact, to be strongest in the Bay of Plenty, Coromandel and Queenstown regions particularly for large waterfront properties offering spa and Wi-Fi. Here's a fun fact. Properties with a spa will earn 43% more than those without, and a batch with five to six rooms will earn almost twice as much as one to three or four rooms. The, a home in Mount Monganui called The Nest is the top-earning rental property in the country, with its owners earning $81,000 a year by renting it out. Meanwhile, a, a search on September 9th on Airbnb reveals a waterfront house in Tipuna in Western Bay of Plenty is available for a week in mid-December for over $2,600. Uh, the article goes on to talk about various examples. It does depend where you live, but certainly um, the temporary renting market, Airbnbs, batch care, etc., is set to have a bit of an increase. Going to the lower end of the scale, and I wish you could see the photo that's in front of me. This is from an article on Stuff by Jared and Can. It says, studio or shack. Either way, it was advertised for $355 per week. A small granny flat, if you could call it that from the picture, in central Wellington advertised for $355 a week highlights the continued rental crisis around the capital, renters united say. 
This is a case where very little is being provided for a significant sum of money, Wellington Renters United President Geordie Rogers said. When you think about how many hours you'd have to work at a minimum wage job to pay for that accommodation, you're not looking at much left over for other expenses. But the manager of the property said the plight of landlords should be considered as tenants abandoned the city to travel overseas and they struggled under greater tax burdens and insurance costs. Property Scouts Director Ryan Weir has spoken to staff about the rental property. The images of the Mount Victoria property do not show features required under the healthy home standard, including a fixed heat source. The manager, who refused to give his name, said the photos were old and improvements have been made since they were taken. We did insulation on the house and put the heater in and then got a fan for the bathroom and the kitchen got a fan. So everything follows the healthy homes law. The property manager said there were apartments in the city that were smaller and charging more and which didn't have an outdoor area. So it's just really a, a look at, uh, and again, you'd probably need to see it. Um, it's a pretty, it doesn't look that nice at all <laughs> in my view. But uh, nevertheless, that's uh, again just showing that things are quite busy indeed in the market. Just moving on now to my buy of the week. <laughs> and this article here says, Fancy some privacy? This isolated UK home is only accessible by foot. This article by Christy Johnson on stuff.co.nz. It's got a picture of this really charming looking old home. Two stories high, little outbuilding by the looks of things. I don't know how watertight that part is. It says, A cottage in the English countryside could be yours, but you have to put in some serious grit. A three-bedroom, one-bathroom home in Wernside in the Yorkshire Dales requires an extensive renovation and is on offer for £300,000. That's 571000 New Zealand dollars. The Yorkshire Dales, beautiful part of the UK in my view, rolling hills and fields with the old stone uh, fences. But what's rather unusual about this, about this property is the fact that it can only be accessed by foot with the nearest parking spot a 20-minute walk away. Listed by Fisher Hopper, the remote abode is called Three Blairmore Cottages and is a former railway worker's home. Despite the home's unappealing facade and rather dire interiors, the agents sing the property's praises by describing it in the listing as an exciting renovation project in a stunningly beautiful location. They also suggest it could provide the potential buyer with an interesting investment in the form of a holiday home or Airbnb rental, which it certainly certainly would. The... um, Again, the in the picture, and it really does look charming. It's in a really charming area. How, and so what do you get for your money? The property consists of a kitchen, pantry, storeroom, living room and hall on the ground floor with access to the bedrooms and bathroom on the first floor. Interiors require a complete renovation with missing floorboards, mould on the walls, loose bathroom tiles, doors propped up against the walls, exposed timber beams and unfinished paint jobs. So what you're really getting is is the shell of a of a cool looking uh, old home that uh, could be better suited on grand designs. And in fact, there's pro- probably the sort of people that appear on grand designs would look at this and think, "Great, um, buy it for three hundred thousand pound, do it up, and have it maybe as an investment or to sell on." So it begs the question: twenty minute walk. If you were going to an Airbnb or something similar, would you do a 20-minute walk? I don't know about your suitcases, but mine are generally fairly heavy. 
and uh, it would be interesting to see quite how you have to get there. But if you were something like uh, walkers or trampers or something like that, that could be quite the experience. Why is it my pick of the week? Just because I think it's cute. I don't have the skills to do it up myself, but if somebody did, it would be magnificent. And the Yorkshire Dales, absolutely beautiful. It's where, where the old series All Creatures Great and Small was filmed and various other uh, programs of a similar ilk. So um, that's my uh, pick of the week for you. But if you want something uh, closer to home, uh, just a few general comments. There's still a good time to buy here, actually, in the wider Manawatu Wanganui area. The prices are a little less, just very slightly less than what they were about a year ago. Uh, we had a big period during that year where they went up a lot and came back down, so certainly much easier to buy. Um, it's just a shame that the government at the moment has made it really hard for first-home buyers and very hard for investors. Most of the people who are buying and selling in the market in this area at the moment are people who are upsizing or downsizing their houses because the ability to lend is a lot easier. So there is more to choose from at the moment and there is typically a spring blossoming, if you excuse the uh, term, of the number of properties coming onto the market. So the question is... uh, Are buyers waiting for prices to possibly come down? If so, they probably won't come down much further, in my opinion. However, uh, there are more to choose from. So buyers will have noticed, when compared to a year ago or two years ago, that often now you're not necessarily in a situation where you're competing in a multi-offer. What that means is things are really how they probably used to be before these busy times. It's just a matter of negotiating a price that somebody's very easy with and going ahead. So buyers are realising that the time to sell has moved out to about 60 days now in our region. It was much shorter than that. And that just shows that maybe initial listing prices might be a little out of touch with the market. Um, Buyers now... I should say sellers now, are getting a bit used to the fact that the uh, prices need to be priced fairly realistically and the days of inflating prices and adding on uh, a bit, a margin or whatever, have largely gone. So if you are buying, it's a good time. You can do some negotiation. There's more to choose from. If you're selling, what you can do there is do the best possible marketing for your home so it stands out amongst the crowd and gets those buyers along to your home. So thank you very much for listening to the show. This has been Greg Watson on Property Matters on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, Te Reo Irangi o Nga Tangata o Manawatu. It's been lovely having your company, and thank you for listening today. You can find this show on MPR, Manawatu People's Radio, npr.nz, or where all good podcasts are found. Have a lovely week. If you enjoy this NPR podcast, please consider subscribing. Our podcasts are available on all major podcasting platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify, as well as the accessmedia.nz app. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.npr.nz forward slash donate.